Chapter Two of Katrina by Robert Louis Stevenson. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Read by Wayne Cook. Chapter Two: The Highland Writer. Mr. Charles Stewart, the writer, dwelt at the top of the longest stair ever Mason set a hand to, fifteen flights of it, no less. And when I had come to his door, and a clerk had opened it and told me his master was within. I had scarce breath enough to send my porter packing. "'Away east and west we said I, took the money-bag out of his hands, and followed the clerk in. The outer room was an office with the clerk's chair at a table spread with law-papers. In the inner chamber, which opened from it, a little brisk man sat poring on a deed, from which he scarce raised his eyes on my entrance. Indeed, he still kept his finger in the place, as though prepared to show me out and fall again to his studies. This pleased me little enough, and what pleased me less, I thought the clerk was in a good posture to overhear what should pass between us. I asked if he was Mr. Charles Stewart, the writer. "'The same,' said he, "'and if the question is equally fair, who may you be yourself?' "'You never heard tell of my name, nor of me either,' said I. "'But I bring you a token from a friend that you know well.' "'That you know well,' I repeated, lowering my voice. "'But maybe are not just as keen to hear from at this present being. "'And the bits of business that I have to propone to you "'are rather in the nature of being confidential. "'In short, I would like to think we were quite private.' He rose without more words, casting down his paper like a man ill-pleased, sent forth his clerk of an errand, and shut to the house-door behind him. "'Now, sir,' he said, returning, "'speak out your mind, and fear nothing. Though before you begin,' he cries out, "'I tell you mine misgives me. I tell you beforehand, you're either a Stuart or a Stuart sent ye. A good name it is.' and when it would ill become my father's son too lightly. But I began to grow at the sound of it. My name is called Balfour, said I, David Balfour of Shaw's. As for him that sent me, I will let his token speak. And I showed the silver button. Put it in your pocket, sir, cries he. You need name no names. The devil's bucky, I ken the button of him and Dell ate it. Where is he now? I told him I knew not where Alan was, but he had some sure place, or thought he had, about the north side, where he was to lie until a ship was found for him, and how and where he had appointed to be spoken with. It's always been my opinion that I would hang in a toe for this family of mine, he cried, and Dode, I believe the days come now. Get a ship for him, quote he. And who's to pay for it? The man's daft. That is my part of the affair, Mr. Stewart, said I. Here is a bag of good money, and if more be wanted, more is to be had where it came from. I needn't ask your politics, said he. Ye need not, I said, smiling, for I'm as big a wig as grows. Stop a bit, stop a bit, said Mr. Stewart. What's all this, a wig? Then why are you here with Alan's button? And what kind of a blackfoot traffic is this that I find ye out in, Mr. Whig? Here is a forfeited rebel and an accused murderer, 
with two hundred pounds on his life, and ye ask me to meddle in his business, and then ye tell me your wig? I have no mind of any such wigs before, though I've kept plenty of them. He's a forfeited rebel. The more's the pity, said I, for the man's my friend. I can only wish he has been better guided, and an accused murder that he is too for his misfortune, but wrongfully accused. I hear you say so, said Stuart. More than you are to hear me say so before long, said I. Alan Breck is innocent, and so is James. Oh, said he, the two cases hang together. If Alan is out, James can never be in. Hereupon I told him briefly of my acquaintance with Alan, of the accident that brought me present at the Alpen murder, and the various passages of our escape among the heather, and my recovery of my estate. So, sir, you have now the whole train of these events, I went on, and can see for yourself how I come to be so much mingled up with the affairs of your family and friends, which, for all of our sakes, I wish had been plainer and less bloody. You can see for yourself, too, that I have certain pieces of business depending, which were scarcely fit to lay before a lawyer chosen at random. No more remains but to ask if you will undertake my service. I have no great mind to it, but coming as you do with Alan's button, the choice is scarcely left me, said he. What are your instructions? he added, and took up his pen. The first point is to smuggle Alan forth of this country, said I, but I need not be repeating that. I am little likely to forget it, said Stuart. The next thing is the bit of money I am owing to Cluny, I went on. It would be ill for me to find a conveyance, but that should be no stick to you. It was two pounds, five shillings, three halfpenny farthings sterling, he noted it. Then, said I, there's a Mr. Henderland, a licensed preacher and missionary in Ardgour, that I would like well to get some snuff into the hands of, and as I dare say you keep touch with your friends in Apen, so nearby, it's a job you could doubtless overtake with the other. How much snuff are we to say? he said. I was thinking of two pounds, said I. Two, said he. Then there's the lass Allison Hasty and Lime Kills, said I, her that helped Alan and me across the fourth. I was thinking if I could get her a good Sunday gown, such as she could wear with decency in her degree, it would be an ease to my conscience, for the mere truth is, we owe her our two lives. I'm glad to see you are thrifty, Mr. Balfour, says he, making his notes. I would think shame to be otherwise the first day of my fortune, said I. And now, if you will compute the outlay and your own proper charges, I would be glad to know if I could get some spending money back. It's not that I grudge the whole of it to get Alan safe. It's not that I lack more. But having drawn so much the one day, I think it would have a very ill appearance if I was back again seeking the next. Only be sure you have enough, I added, for I am very undesirous to meet with you again. Well, and I'm pleased to see you're cautious, too, said the writer. 
but I think uh, ye take a risk to lay so considerable a sum at my discretion. He said this with a plain sneer. I have to run the hazard, I replied. Oh, and there's another service I would ask, and that's to direct me to a lodging, for I have no roof to my head. But it must be a lodging I may seem to have hit upon by accident, for it would never do if the Lord Advocate were to get any jealousy of our acquaintance. Ye may set your weary spirit at rest, said he. I will never name your name, sir, and it's my belief the Advocate is still so much to be sympathized with that he denneth kin of your existence. I saw I had got on the wrong side of the man. There's a broad day coming for him, then, said I, for he'll have to learn of it on the deaf side of his head no later than tomorrow, when I call on him. When ye call on him, repeated Mr. Stewart, am I daft, or are you? What takes ye near the advocate? Oh, just to give myself up, said I. Mr. Balfour, he cried, are you making a mock of me? No, sir, said I though I think you have allowed yourself some such freedom with myself. But I give you to understand once and for all that I am in no jesting spirit. Nor yet me, says Stuart, and I give yon to understand, if that's to be the word, that I like the looks of your behavior less and less. You come here to me with all sorts of propositions, which will put me in a train of very doubtful acts, and bring me among very undesirable persons this many a day to come. And then you tell me you're going straight out of my office to make your peace with the advocate. Alan's button here or Alan's button there, the four quarters of Alan wouldn't have bribed me further in. I would take it with a little more temper, said I, and perhaps we can avoid what you object to. I can see no way for it but to give myself up but perhaps you can see another, and if you could, I could never deny what I would be rather relieved, for I think my traffic with his lordship is little likely to agree with my health. There's just one thing clear, that I have to give my evidence, for I hope it'll save Alan's character, what's left of it, and James's neck, which is the more immediate. He was silent for breathing space, and then... My man, said he, you'll never be allowed to give such evidence. We'll have to see about that, said I. I'm stiff-necked when I like. Ye muckalass, cried Stuart. It's James they want. James has got to hang, and Alan too if they could catch him. But James, whatever, go near the advocate with any such business, and you'll see he'll find a way to muzzle ye. I think better of the advocate than that, said I. The advocate be damned, cries he. It's the Campbells, man. You have the whole clanjamfrey of them on your back, and so will the advocate too, poor body. It's extraordinary you cannot see where ye stand. If there's no fair way to stop your gab, there's a foul one gaping. They can put ye in the dock. Do you no see that? he cried, and stabbed me with one finger in the leg. Aye, said I, and I was told that same no farther back than this morning by another lawyer. And who was he? asked Stuart. He spoke sense, at least. I told him I must be excused from naming him, for he was a decent, stout old Whig, and had little mind to be mixed up in such affairs. 
I think all the world seems to be mixed up in it, cried Stuart. But what said you? I told him what had passed between Rankin Keeler and myself before the House of Shaws. Well, and so ye will hang, said he. You'll hang beside James Stuart. There's your fortune told. I hope better of it yet than that, said I. But I could never deny there was a risk. Risk, says he, and then sat silent again. I ought to thank you for your staunchness to my friends, to whom you show a very good spirit, he said, if you have the strength to stand by it. But I warn you that you're wading deep. I wouldn't put myself in your place. Me, that's a Stuart born, for all the Stuarts that ever there was since Noah. Risk, I, I take over many. But to be tried in court before a Campbell jury and a Campbell judge, and that in a Campbell county, upon a Campbell quarrel? Think what you like of me, Balfour. It's beyond me. It's a different way of thinking, I suppose, said I. I was brought up to this one by my father before me. Glory to his bones. He has left a decent son to his name, said he. Yet I would not have you judge me over sorely. My case is dooms hard. See, sir, ye tell me you're a Whig. I wonder what I am. No Whig to be sure. I can be just that. But lay in your ear, man. I may be no very keen on the other side. Is that a fact? cried I. It's what I would think of a man of your intelligence. But none of your willy-wassy cries. There's intelligence upon both sides. But for my private part, I have no particular desire to harm King George. And as for King James, God bless him. He does very well for me across the water. I'm a lawyer, you see, fond of my books and my bottle, a good plea, a well-drawn deed, a crack in the Parliament House with other lawyer bodies, and perhaps a turn at golf on a Saturday at the inn. Where do ye come in with your highland plaids and claymores? Well, said I, it's a fact ye have little of the wild highlandman. Little, quoth he, nothing, man. And yet I'm highland-born, and when the clan pipes, who but me has to dance? The clan in the name, that goes by all. It's just what you said yourself. My father learned it to me, and a bonny trade I have of it. Treason and traitors, and the smuggling of them out and in, and the French recruiting, weary follet, and the smuggling through the recruits, and their pleas, a sorrow of their pleas. Here have I been moving one for young Ardshiel, my cousin, claimed the estate under the marriage contract, a forfeited estate. I told them it was nonsense. Muckle they cared. And there was I cocking behind a yadvigate that liked the business as little as myself, for it was fair ruin to the pair of us. A black mark, disaffected, branded on our herdies like folks' names upon their kai. And what can I do? I'm a steward, you see, and must fend for my clan and family. Then no later by than yesterday there was one of our steward lads carried to the castle. What for? I can find. Act of 1736. Recruiting for King Louis. And you'll see he'll whistle me in to be his lawyer, and there'll be another black mark on my character. I tell you fair, 
if I but kent the heed of a Hebrew word from the hurdies of it, be damned, but I would fling the whole thing up and turn minister. It's a rather hard position, said I. Doom's hard, cried he, and that's what makes me think so much of ye. You, that's no steward, to stick your head so deep in steward business, and for what I do not know, unless it was the sense of duty. I hope it will be that, said I. Well, says he, it's a grand quality, but here's my clerk back, and by your leave, we'll pick a bit of dinner, all the three of us. When that's done, I'll give you the direction of a very decent man that'll be very fain to have you for a lodger, and I'll fill your pockets to ye for by out of your ain bag. For this business'll not be near as dear as ye suppose, not even the ship part of it. I made him a sign that his clerk was within hearing. Hoot, <laughs> you'd need a bind, Robbie, cries he. A steward too, poor devil, and has smuggled out more French recruits and trafficking papists than what he has hairs upon his face. Why, it's Robin that manages that branch of my affairs. Who will we have now, Rob, for across the water? There'll be Andy Scrugel in the thristle, replied Rob. I saw Hoseason the other day, but it seems he's wanting the ship. Then there'll be Tam Stobo, but I'm none so sure of Tam. I've seen him colloguing with some gay queer acquaintances, and if anybody was important, I would give Tam the go-by. The head's worth two hundred pounds, Robin, said Stuart. Gosh, that'll no be Alan Breck, cried the clerk. Just Alan, said his master. Where do you wins? That's serious, cried Robin. I'll try Andy then. Andy'll be the best. It seems it's quite a big business, I observed. Mr. Balfour, there's no end to it, said Stuart. There was a name your clerk mentioned, I went on. Hoseason. That must be my man, I think. Hoseason, of the Brig Covenant. Would ye set your trust on him? He didna behave very well to you and Alan, said Mr. Stuart. But my mind of the man in general is rather otherwise. If he had taken Alan on board his ship on an agreement, it's my notion that he would have proved a just dealer. How say ye, Rob? No more on a skipper in the trade than Eli, said the clerk. I would lift into Eli's word, I, if it were the Chevalier or Apen himself, he added. And it was him that brought the doctor, wasn't it? asked the master. He was the very man, said the clerk. And I think he took the doctor back, said Stuart. I, with his sporin full, cried Robin, and Eli kent that. Well, it seems it's hard to ken folk rightly, said I. That was just what I forgot when ye came in, Mr. Balfour, says the writer. End chapter 2